Throughout the ages, the Church has recognized many special heroes of our Catholic faith. These holy men and women weren't just outstanding people of their time, they're models of holiness for our time. And each week at this time, EWTN Global Catholic Radio brings you Super Saints. And now, here are your hosts for Super Saints, Bob and Penny Lord. Hello, family, and welcome. We're Bob and Penny Lord. And the saints we want to share with you today, St. Francis de Sales and St. Jane Francis de Chantal, were powerful saints of the Counter-Reformation. Padre Pio used to tell us that the holiest people lived in the mountains. And as we think about the majesty, the beautiful gift the Lord gives us in his high mountain places, we have to believe that it's true because these out-of-the-way places are so conducive to holiness. And also, as Padre Pio said, we're so much closer to heaven in high mountain places. Mother Angelica often talks of awe and wonder how awesome is the Lord and the Blessed Sacrament in the Eucharist. And I have to say that as we travel to Annecy, the home of St. Francis de Sales in the French Alps, just on the other side of Lake Geneva, and we're able to see this part of his creation, we have to admit that that too is truly awesome, God's creation. We invite you to come with us in spirit to the birthplace of St. Francis de Sales, to that part of France that joins Geneva, Switzerland, Lake Geneva. We will go to the castle where our hero, our super saint, was born. In the time of heresy, in the midst of it, God raised up a man equal to the task. It is affirming that our Lord never leaves us alone. When we think that everything is hopeless and that we are helpless, the Lord raises up from one of our ranks another one of us to fight the enemy. St. Francis de Sales was born in a chateau in Touraine, France, overlooking Lake Geneva. As you know, St. Francis was the bishop of Geneva. He is a doctor of the church. He was the founder of the Visitation Order. St. Francis came from a very comfortable background. Ancestors of St. Francis still live in the chateau where he was born, although it is used as a museum now. He was born of the House of Savoy, the royal house. At one time, they were the ruling class of a good deal of Europe. He was of nobility, and yet the Lord kept calling him more and more to the people. At one given point, he traveled all over Europe preaching in defense of the Eucharist. He encouraged devotion to the Sacred Heart, and when he became bishop, he devoted all his time to the people in his diocese. He was a brilliant man. At age 24, he not only received a doctorate in civil law, but in canon law as well. It seems that whenever the church is threatened, the Lord raises up a saint or two or brings about miracles. In this case, he raised up two saints, St. Francis de Sales, who was sent into, this, into his area, actually into the area closest to Geneva, to preach against the Calvinists. Calvinism had spread and was just tearing apart the whole area. It was at the point where prior to his becoming Bishop of Geneva, the Bishop of Geneva had to live in Annecy in exile. He had to leave Geneva because of the strong Calvinist influence there. So he went to Geneva, and this is where St. Francis de Sales met the bishop and became the coadjutor of the diocese while still living in Annecy. Once he became Bishop of Geneva, he went back to Geneva and served the people of the diocese. It's very interesting. This man was so charismatic. 
His writings were so beautiful that Don Bosco, when he began his order, picked St. Francis de Sales to be his spiritual director from heaven and named the order after St. Francis de Sales under his direction and called them Salesians. What were his parents thinking about this new baby who was born to them on August 21st, 1567? Would he continue in the house of Savoy and take care of the land which was his heritage? Or would Francis Bonaventure, which was the name he was named after his patron, St. Francis of Assisi and St. Bonaventure, was he one of the little Pavarello's disciples and would follow in their footsteps? From his earliest childhood, he was singularly active and energetic. His mother kept his education in her own hands. In other words, he was homeschooled for the first few years. He seems to have been eager to learn, and he loved books very much. At the age of eight, Francis went to the College of Annecy. There, he made his first Holy Communion in the Church of St. Dominic. He also received confirmation at that time. One year later, he was given the tonsure, which is the shaving of the back of his head. Francis had a great wish to consecrate himself to God, and he regarded this the first outward step. In his 14th year, Francis was sent to the University of Paris, which at this time, with its 54 colleges, was one of the greatest centers of learnings in Europe. He was intended for the College of Navarre as it was frequented by the sons of the noble families of Savoy, but Francis, fearing for his vocation in such surroundings, preferred to be allowed to go to the College of Clermont, which was under Jesuit direction and was renowned for piety as well as for learning. Here his heart was more and more set upon giving himself wholly to God. He vowed perpetual chastity and placed himself under the special protection of the Blessed Virgin. Nevertheless, he was not free from trial. About his 18th year, he was attacked by an agonizing temptation to despair. The love of God had always meant more than anything to him but he was now the prey of a horrible fear that he had lost God's grace and that he was doomed to hate God with the damned for all eternity. This obsession pursued him day and night and his health suffered visibly from the consequences and added mental anguish to his sufferings. Lord, he cried, if I am ever to see thee in heaven, this at last grant me, that I may never curse nor blaspheme thy holy name. If I may not love thee in the other world, for in hell none praise thee, let me at least in my brief experience here love thee as much as I can. Therefore, after praying before a favorite statue of Our Lady and humbly praying the memorare, all fear and despair suddenly left him and a great peace filled his soul. This trial taught him early he must understand and deal tenderly with the spiritual difficulties and temptations of others. He was 24 years old when he took his final degree and became a doctor of law at Padua. He rejoined his family at the Chanteau de Tuili on the Lake of Annecy, where for 18 months his singular attractive youth led outwardly at least the ordinary life of a young noble of his time. He then declined the dignity offered him of becoming a member of the Senate of Savoy, which was an unusual honor for so young a man. Francis had so far only confided to his mother and other friends and relatives his earnest desire of devoting his life to the service of God. He hadn't confided in his father, and a confrontation would soon become inevitable. His father was greatly upset by his son's refusal of the senatorship and his determination also not to marry. 
but none of these disappointments appeared to have prepared him for the blow of Francis' vocation. The death of the provost of the chapter of Geneva suggested the possibility that Francis might be appointed to this post, and then in this way his father's opposition might be relaxed. Aided by the Bishop of Geneva, but without consulting any of the family, he applied to the Pope with whom the appointment rested. The letters instituting Francis as the provost of the chapter were promptly received from Rome. When the appointment was announced to Francis, his surprise was extreme to say the least, and it was only with reluctance that he accepted the unsung honor, hoping thereby to obtain his father's consent to his ordination. Now, his father was a man of determined character. He believed his children should regard his express wish as being final, and it required all the patient persuasion and respect which Francis could have called to his aid before his father at length gave away. Francis donned ecclesiastical dress the very day his father gave his consent, and six months later, on December the 18th, 1593, he was ordained a priest. He ministered to the poor with zealous love and in the confessional devoted himself to the poorest and the humblest. He preached constantly, not only in honesty, but in many other places. Even though he was an excellent scholar, his style was so simple he charmed his hearers. He was destined, however, soon to be called upon to undertake far more difficult and dangerous a work. For at that time, owing to hostilities and the inroads of Protestantism, the religious condition of the people of the Chablis on the south shore of Lake Geneva was deplorable. The Duke of Savoy applied to the bishop to send missionaries who might win back his subjects to the church. In response, the bishop sent a priest known in the Battle of Chablis. The first attempt was fruitless, and the priest was forced to withdraw. The bishop, summoning his chapter, put the whole matter before them, disguising none of the difficulties and dangers. Perhaps of all those present, the provost was the one who best realized the gravity of the task. Nevertheless, Francis stood up and offered himself for the work, saying very simply, My lord, if you think I am capable of undertaking this mission, tell me to go. I am ready to obey and should be happy to be chosen. The bishops accepted at once, to great to Francis' great joy. And then on September the 14th, 1594, the Feast of the Triumph of the Cross, traveling on foot accompanied only by his cousin, Canon Louis de Sales, he set forth to win back the Chablis for Jesus. The remnant of the one Catholic population amounted to about 20 scattered individuals, too afraid of violence to declare themselves openly. These Francis sought out and exhorted to have courage and persevere. The missionaries preached daily, gradually extending their efforts to the villages and the surrounding countryside. One evening, Francis was attacked by wolves. He only escaped by spending the night in a tree. When daylight came, he was found by some peasants in such an exhausted condition. Had they not cared for them, him with food and water, he would have died. These good people were Calvinists, and with his thanks he spoke such words of enlightenment and charity they were afterward converted. Twice in January 1595 he was waylaid by assassins who swore to take his life, but on both of these occasions he was saved by a miracle. He was constantly seeking new ways to reach the ears and hearts of the people. He began writing a leaflet 
setting up teachings of the church, opposing the errors of Calvinism. In every spare moment, he wrote these little papers, which were copied many times by hand and distributed widely by all available means. These little sheets, composed and distributed under such difficulty, were later to form the volume of his popular book entitled Controversies. And in their original form are preserved in the archives of the Visitation Convent at Annecy. This was the beginning of his activities as a writer. After four years, Bishop Gagnez of Annecy came to visit the mission and the fruits of Francis' self-sacrificing work and zeal were unmistakable. When the bishop considered Francis as his successor and suggested it to him, at first Francis was unwilling. But finally he gave in and proceeded to Rome, where Pope Clement VIII, having heard much in praise of his virtue, decided Francis should be examined in his presence. The Pope himself and others asked no less than 35 questions in theology to Francis, all of which he answered with simplicity and modesty. He was appointed coadjutor of Geneva, and Francis returned there to take up his work with fresh zeal and energy. Francis succeeded to the seat of Geneva on the death of the bishop in the autumn of 1602. He took up his residence in Annecy with a house organized on lines of strictest economy. To the fulfillment of his episcopacy, he gave himself with unstilted generosity and devotion. He thought out every detail of the government of the diocese, and apart from all his administrative work, continued to preach and minister in the confessional with unremitting devotion. He organized the teaching of catechism throughout the diocese, and in honesty he gave instructions himself with such glowing interest and fervor that years after his death, his catechism was still remembered. In dealing with souls, though always gentle, he was never weak. He could be very firm when kindness did not prevail. In his wonderful treatise on the love of God, he wrote, The measure of love is to love without measure. A prominent place in his work of spiritual devotion was held by St. Jane Francis de Chantal, who first became known to him in 1604 when he was preaching Lenten sermons in Dijon. The foundation of the Order of Visitation was the result which evolved from these from the meeting of these two saints. His most famous book, Introduction to a Devout Life, grew out of just casual notes of instructions and advice which he wrote to a cousin by marriage who had placed herself under his guidance. He was persuaded to publish them in a little volume. This book was at once proclaimed a spiritual masterpiece and was soon translated into many languages. In 1610 came the very heavy sorrow of his mother's death. His father had died nine years before. My heart was very full, he wrote, and I wept over the good mother more than I have wept since I became a priest. Francis survived his mother for 12 hard years. In 1622, the Duke of Savoy invited him to meet with him and King Louis XIII in Avignon. Anxious to obtain some privileges, For the French part of his diocese, Francis readily consented, although he was in no state of health to risk the long winter journey. But it seemed he had a premonition that his end was not far off. Before leaving Annecy, he put his affairs into order and took his leave as if he had little expectation of seeing the people again. 
At Avignon, he led as far as possible his usual austere life. On the return journey, he stayed at a gardener's cottage belonging to the convent of the Visitation, here for a whole month. Though sorely in need of rest, he spared himself no labor. On St. John's Day, he was taken ill with some sort of paralytic seizure. He recovered speech and consciousness and endured with touching patience the torturous remedies used in hope of prolonging his life. After receiving the last sacraments, he laid murmuring words from the Holy Bible, expressing his humble and serene trust in God's mercy. He was heard to say, With expectation I have waited upon the Lord, and he heard my prayers and brought me out of the pit of misery and the filth of mire. At last, clasping the hand of his attendant, he whispered, It is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. The last word that he was heard uttering was the name of Jesus. While those around his bed set the litany for the dying, invoking the holy innocence, whose feast day it was, St. Francis gently breathed his last. He was 56 years old. The beatification of St. Francis de Sales in 1662 was the first solemn beatification to take place in St. Peter's Basilica in Rome, where he was canonized three years later. His feast was fixed for January 29th, the anniversary of bringing his body to the visitation in Annecy. He was declared a doctor of the church in 1877, and Pope Pius XI named him patron saint of journalists. Jane Francis de Chantal, co-founder of the Visitation Order, was born in Dijon in 1572. She was confirmed Francis, she was tenderly loved by her father, and he gave her in marriage to Baron de Chantal, who was then 27 years old, an officer in the French army and an accomplished duelist. The marriage was solemnized in Dijon, France. St. Jane went with her husband to his hometown. After three children died soon after birth, they were blessed with a boy and three girls. When someone commented on the Baroness' modest clothes when her husband was away, she commented, the eyes I want to please are a hundred leagues away. The remark of St. Francis de Sales was as true in the early days as when he first made it. In Madame de Chantal, I have found the valiant woman whom Solomon had difficult in finding in Jerusalem. Her happiness lasted only nine years. One day in 1601, her husband went out shooting. He was shot accidentally in the thigh. He survived nine days during which he suffered great pain. He received the last sacraments with edifying resignation. Madame de Chantal's life, thoughts, and actions were bound up in her beloved husband. And when she was left a widow at 28 years old, her grief was not to be expressed. For four months, she sunk into deep dejection until she was roused by a letter from her father. It reminded her of her obligation to her children. In 1604, St. Francis de Sales had come to preach a Lenten mission at Dijon. Jane went to stay with her father there, that she might have the opportunity of hearing so celebrated a preacher. St. Francis dined frequently at her father's house, and she gained a great confidence in him. It was her wish to put her difficulties before him. By his advice, she regulated her devotions and other exercises, so as to conform herself to what she owed to the world, 
while she lived in the house of her father and her father-in-law. She followed a strict rule of life and devoting much time to her children and visiting the poor that were sick in the neighborhood and watched whole nights those who were dying. For some time, she had been considering that she should enter a cloister. When she talked to St. Francis about this, he took some time to recommend the matter to God. And at length, in 1607, he unfolded his project of forming a new establishment, a congregation of the visitation of the Blessed Virgin Mary. St. Jane welcomed the proposal with joy, but the grief of her aging father, the requirements of her children, the situation of her affairs with the family raised great obstacles and gave her much suffering. To the objection that the obligation which Madame Chantel owed to her children could not be complied with unless she remained with them in the world, St. Francis de Sales replied that they were no longer infants and in the cloister she would be able to watch over them with no less vigilance and perhaps even greater advantage to them than by continuing being with them, especially when you consider that the two oldest were about to go into the world. These and other objections were eventually overcome. St. Francis provided a house called the Gallery House on the edge of Lake Annecy, and he inaugurated his convent on Trinity Sunday in 1610. With St. Jane Francis were clothed two other sisters, and soon they were joined by ten others. The work encountered much opposition from the usual failure of the narrow-minded to understand anything new. St. Francis changed the plan of the congregation so far as to make it an enclosed religious order under the rule of St. Augustine, to which he added constitutions admirable in their wisdom and moderation, but not too easy for the strong, nor too hard for the weak. But he refused to give up the idea in the name of the visitation of Our Lady, which he had chosen for his sister, St. Jane Francis. She also urged him to make no concessions. St. Jane founded 87 monasteries between 1615 and 1641. She traveled on horseback or a litter to found or visit new communities. She was very close to ordinary people, and the residents of Annecy venerated her. Anne of Austria asked her to bless her son, who became the future Louis XIV. In 1641, she went to France on an errand of charity. She was invited by the queen to Paris, and to her great distress, she was treated there with great distinction and honor. On her return, she fell on the road in her convent at Moline. There she died on December the 13th, 1641, at 69 years of age. Her body was taken down to Annecy and buried near St. Francis de Sales. She was canonized in 1767. St. Vincent de Paul said of her she was full of faith and yet all her life had been tormented by the thoughts against the faith. While she appeared peaceful, she suffered great interior trials. Her mind was tortured by temptations. She couldn't bear it. The sight of her own soul horrified her as if it were an image of hell. And for all that suffering, her face never lost her serenity nor did she want to relax the fidelity God asked of her. And so St. Vincent de Paul regarded her for this as one of the holiest souls he had ever met on earth. Don Bosco had always been a great admirer of St. Francis de Sales. His writings were brilliant. He was a workaholic, as was Don Bosco, who fought tirelessly against all the heresies of his day. 
But possibly the most attractive trait about St. Francis de Sales, which Don Bosco wanted his followers to emulate, was his gentleness and understanding. The apostolate of Don Bosco was of a very special nature. One where the qualities of gentleness, patience, and understanding were as important and possibly more important than any other. He prayed that his benefactor, St. Francis de Sales, would help from heaven in instilling these virtues into all his people. We see in this a perfect example of a role model. St. John Bosco used St. Francis de Sales as a role model because St. Francis de Sales allowed himself to become that role model. We have role models. The people that we share with you, the saints and other powerful men and women in our church, are perfect role models. We have them today. You have but to use them and to listen to them. Today we are again in a day of heresy, massive heresy. Who will God raise up? Who has he already raised up? Is God asking you to listen to a sermon as St. Jane Francis de Chantal did when it burns your heart for you to say yes to God and remain faithful as she did? A great and powerful woman who will one day, soon I believe, be declared a saint, Mother Teresa said, I don't have to be successful, only faithful. The saints that we're bringing to you, each and every one of them, were faithful. In a time of unfaithfulness, in a time of disobedience and dissent, permeating the church, calling it Reformation, saints like St. Jane Francis de Chantal and St. Francis de Sales became counter-reformers, bringing about a real Reformation. It is time now. Let those saints come forward now. St. Louis-Marie de Montfort said in the final days, the apostles of the final days will be saints greater in, in uh, holiness than those of the previous years. We have great saints with us today. You are only to stand up and be counted. Our Lord needs you. We love you. God bless you. We'll talk to you next week. Super Saints with Bob and Penny Lord is adapted especially for EWTN Radio from the book series of the same name. If you'd like more information, contact Journeys of Faith, Post Office Box 1240, Fair Oaks, California, 95628-1240. Or you may call toll-free 1-800-633-2484, 1-800-633-2484. And please join us again next week at this time for Super Saints on EWTN, Global Catholic Radio. Please load our free Bob and Penny Lord app. Here's how to download our free Bob and Penny Lord app. Simply With your iPhone or Android device, go to the App Store, search for Bob and Penny Lord app, and download it. It's that simple. Here's what you can do with our free Bob and Penny Lord app. 
Number one, the, there's a link to our marketplaces, our websites, uh, our uh, blog, and this podcast. The second link is to our Bob and Penny Lord TV channel, where you can access all of our videos as seen on EWTN, plus a whole lot more. Thank you very much.